1: We're going to be looking at that uh, passage this morning, but first, uh, let's pray and ask uh, for God to speak to us this morning through His Word. Let's pray. Our dear, gracious and heavenly Father, we thank You uh, for this uh, yeah, this story of uh, Gabriel visiting Mary. We pray that by it, You would encourage us, strengthen us, lift us up, and help us to find rest in Your Son, Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Uh, at the end of every year, in the week between Christmas and the New Year, I find myself haunted by John Lennon's 1975 Christmas song, War Is Over. So this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another year over, and a new one just begun. Every time I hear those lyrics, I ask myself the question, yeah, what, what have I done this year? And I usually feel like I haven't done enough. I usually feel like I should have done more. And so every year without fail, at the end of December, I'll start making plans for the new year, New Year's resolutions, goals to be a better me in the year ahead, uh, goals to work harder, try harder, get more stuff done, be better at everything. But do you know what happens every year I get to this week of the year, and at some point, I hear John Lennon asking me, what have you done, Jayesh? Another year is over, Jayesh. At the beginning of this year, for example, I had a plan. I had a plan to read a classic novel every month. That is, I was planning to read 12 classic novels over the whole year. Guess how many I actually read? None. (laughs) I also had an exercise plan and a healthy eating plan for this year. Don't laugh yet. 12 months ago, I decided that by the end of 2018, I would be regularly doing an exercise routine with 100 push-ups, 30 chin-ups, and a 10-kilometer run. Guess how that went? I think I can do 10 push-ups at the moment, Uh, maybe two chin-ups, if I'm lucky. Don't ask about the running and the eating plan. Well, I ate a lot of food in 2018, and a lot of it was not healthy. I'm pretty sure this year I've been the heaviest I've ever been my entire life. Now, I suspect that I'm not alone when it comes to failing to live up to my own New Year's resolutions and plans. A lot of us do. But even if you're not someone who makes New Year's resolutions, even if you're not someone who writes down specific plans, all of us go into each new year with some sort of goal, uh, some sort of expectations and hopes for how the year will go. All of us live our lives trying to meet those expectations. Now, if you go to school or university, there's an expectation in 2019 that you'll get good grades, or at least that you'll pass your subjects. If you go to work, there's an expectation that in 2019, you'll get your work done, on time, to a decent standard. If you're a spouse, there's an expectation that in 2019, you'll be a loving, selfless, thoughtful, caring partner. If you're a parent, there's an expectation that in 2019, your kids will be amazing, well-adjusted, high-achieving human beings. And if you're a kid, there's an expectation that in 2019, you will be this amazing, well-adjusted, high-achieving human being. And for some of us here this morning, we come to the end of 2018 feeling weary and exhausted because we've been weighed down by these giant burdens, these resolutions to keep, these plans to fulfill, these expectations to meet. And we've spent all our energy trying to live up to all these resolutions or plans or expectations that either we have set for ourselves or someone else has set for us. And to top it all off, we have John Lennon in our ear asking us, what have you done? Another year is over. And so here's my question for us this morning. How can we find rest and peace as we head into 2019, when we have all these giant burdens resting on our shoulders. That brings us to the passage that we're looking at this morning. This morning, we're finishing up our Christmas series called The Weary World Rejoices, and we're looking at Mary being visited by the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1 that was read out for us before. And the reason we're looking at Mary in this passage this morning is because for someone who was given the incredibly important job of giving birth to Jesus, Mary did not meet expectations. Mary was not a high achiever. Maybe you have a certain picture of Mary in your head that looks similar to this, Uh, someone famous and successful, you know, uh, Hollywood actress wearing soft blue robes and a headscarf, someone celebrated and glorious, someone with a natural glow radiating from their face, that's not really the picture that we get in the Gospel of Luke. Have a look at verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1. It says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, here's what we learn about Mary from these two short verses. Mary is a nobody from nowhere. Firstly, she's from the town of Nazareth in Galilee. Galilee is like the Ipswich of Israel, which makes Nazareth like the Gudna of Galilee. Now, I live very close to Gudna, growing up so I can say that, Uh, to give you an idea of what people thought of Nazareth, years later when one of Jesus' disciples, Nathaniel, was first told that Jesus had come from Nazareth, his first response was, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of that place? Nazareth did not have the greatest reputation. But not only does Mary come from nowhere town, she's not royalty or rich or important either. She's a virgin, which in her context probably means she's still in her teens, and she's pledged to be married to Joseph one day, which doesn't mean that she's engaged to Joseph like people get engaged today. Mary's parents have probably match-made her with Joseph since her childhood. Now, it's true, Joseph is descended from King David, the king of Israel, who reigned a thousand years prior, and that's significant because God had promised that the Messiah would be descended from King David, but that doesn't really make Joseph... That's special. You know, heaps of other people were descended from King David too. And being descended from royalty doesn't automatically make you rich or famous. I met an ordinary guy in a cafe last year who could trace his lineage back 800 years and there were kings and queens in his family. But he wasn't rich or famous at all. So, for Mary, apart from marrying into the right heritage, she was just a poor, insignificant, teenage Nobody from nowhere town. And yet, look what happens to Mary. An angel from God visits her, this mighty, impressive, intimidating being, and says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, I can't imagine how I would feel if an angel showed up in my living room, but Mary is scared. And she isn't specifically scared by the angel himself, she's scared by what he says. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Mary's probably thinking to herself, why on earth has this angel come to me? Why am I highly favoured? Why is the Lord with me? I'm just a nobody. I've done nothing to deserve this. But the angel comforts her and reassures her in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. Now, that word favour in the original Greek language is also the word that we translate grace. What does grace mean? Well, whenever you, re- whenever you read the word grace in the Bible, think gift the two words are interchangeable. Grace means gift. A gift or a grace is something that you receive that you haven't worked for. That's what makes a gift a gift. If you work for something, if you earn something, if you pay for something, it's not a gift, it's a grace. It's not a grace, it's a wage, it's an earning, it's a purchase. If on Christmas morning, someone handed you a present and said, Merry Christmas, that's $50, please, that's not a gift. Gifts are things that you receive freely, not things that you earn. And the grace, the gift that Mary was about to be shown was huge. This is what Gabriel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary was going to be graced to be gifted with a king. And not just any king, the king. To any Jew living in first century Israel, these words of Gabriel would have been amazing. The Jews had been waiting and waiting and waiting for about a thousand years for the promised Messiah, the anointed king, one of, king's, one of King David's descendants, who God had promised would reign forever. But with each passing descendant of David on the throne, there was disappointment. So many of David's descendants were corrupt, wicked kings. And in the 600 years prior to Jesus' coming, there were no proper Israelite kings on the throne. Because Israel was ruled by empire after empire, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Medes, the Greeks, and now the Romans. And finally, after all these years of Israel having no king, Mary is promised that she will give birth to the king. So imagine how Mary's feeling at this point. Not only has she been visited by an angel of God, which would have been a scary, amazing experience in itself. But she's been told that she will give birth to the king for whom her whole country has been waiting for a thousand years. The hopes and dreams of her friends and family and neighbours and fellow citizens and ancestors rests on her shoulders. This is massive. But the stakes are about to get even higher. Mary asked Gabriel in verse 34, how will this be, since I am a virgin? To which Gabriel replies in verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is huge. It was already amazing enough when Gabriel said that Mary was going to give birth to the promised King of Israel. But now Gabriel seems to be suggesting that Mary's going to give birth to the king of the universe, the king of the entire cosmic order. Gabriel is saying that this little baby in Mary's womb will be conceived by God himself. This baby will have no human biological father. This baby's biological father will be God. And his biological mother will be Mary, which means that he will be fully human and fully God at the same time. He will be called the Son of Man and the Son of God. And this God-man will be the Saviour, not only of Israel, but of the whole world. And what has Mary done to earn this huge privilege of being the mother of this child? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. This is actually one of the difference between Catholics and Protestants. Uh, Catholics pray to Mary because they believe that when Gabriel said to Mary, greetings you who are highly favoured, they understand it and translate it to mean that she was full of grace. That's... um, Uh, You may have heard Catholics chanting, Hail Mary, full of grace. They are actually chanting uh, the translation, their translation of what Gabriel said to Mary. They believe that Mary is full of grace. She's a source of grace, a source of gifts, which is why they pray to Mary. They believe that Mary can give grace to you because she's a source of it. But Protestants, non-Catholic churches like us, We don't believe that Mary was a source of grace. We believe that Mary was the recipient of grace, like the rest of us. She was highly favoured by God. She was graced by God, not because she did great things to earn the role of being the mother of Jesus, but in spite of the fact that she hadn't done anything. And Mary herself backs this up. Later on in verses 46 to 55, she sings a song, uh, a song that we call the Magnificat, which is a Latin word, which means magnify. And in this song, does she magnify herself and sing about how she is amazing and full of grace and that she's done great things? No. Have a look at what she sings. She sings, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord... And my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. That word humble in the original language means lowly and destitute. She goes on, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why? Because I've done great things. No, because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. Here's the point I'm trying to make. God was with Mary and showed great grace to Mary, even though she was a nobody who had done nothing to deserve it. And that's not just how He treated Mary, that's how He treats all of us. Do you see what this means? If you want God to be with you, If you want to be highly favoured by God, like He highly favoured Mary, like He was with Mary, do you know what you have to do first? Pretty much nothing. If you want to be one of God's children, all you have to do is receive Jesus as a free gift. You don't have to be a somebody first. You don't have to have done amazing things. You don't have to be a success. You don't have to be cool. You don't have to be the person who's got it all together. You don't have to have conquered all your bad habits. You don't have to have conquered all your sin. Why? Because Jesus has done all those things on our behalf. That's what makes Him the Saviour. Jesus has lived the perfect sinless life that we couldn't live, and He died the death that we deserve to die, and God accepts anybody into His kingdom, not on the basis of their own achievements, but on the basis of Jesus' achievements. That's how Jesus saves us. If you are connected to Jesus, if you receive Jesus as your King, you are loved and accepted and cherished and forgiven by God, not because you're amazing, but because Jesus is amazing. And this great news is called the gospel. And it's what can give us true rest and peace as we head into 2019 and as we make all our goals and plans and resolutions for the year ahead. So, in light of that, here are three things that we all ought to do as we head into 2019. Number one, in 2019, freely receive the rest and peace found in Jesus. That's the first thing. That should be your number 1 goal for 2019. And if it isn't yet, add it to your list and put it at the top. Jesus himself said in Matthew 11:28, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." What does it mean to find your rest in Jesus? It first means claiming Jesus as your own Lord and Savior. And secondly, it means grounding all your value and self-worth in Him. I know that I am loved and cherished by God who is now my Father, not because I'm amazing and have done great things, but because I'm with Jesus and He's amazing and has done great things for me and for everyone else who is with Him, like Mary. And that means deep in my soul I can rest, I can relax, even when my life is hectic and crazy because I know that I don't have to earn my way into God's good books. I don't have to earn my way into God's family. Being part of God's family is a privilege that's given to me as a grace, as a gift, just like it was given to Mary. It's not something I have to earn, it's simply something I have to freely receive." So in 2019, make it your goal to freely receive the rest and the peace found in Jesus. That's the first one. The second one, in 2019, don't dwell on what others think about you, or even what you think about you, but remind yourself about what God thinks about you. When things go wrong in your life, when you fail at things, when you make a mess, when all your plans and resolutions and goals go to pot, It's so easy to be crushed, not only by what others think about you, but even what you think about you. But in those moments, you need to remember what God thinks about you. If you're in Christ, then to God, you are His dearly beloved child. Even if you're lowly and destitute like Mary, you are incredibly blessed and no one can take that away from you. Even if no one in the world bats for you, He will. And that means you are loved and cherished by Him whether or not you stick to your exercise plan, whether or not you keep your resolutions, whether or not you achieve your goals, whether or not you live up to others' expectations of you. Things go wrong in our lives and if you've tied all your self-worth to what people think about you, you'll inevitably be devastated. So in 2019, Don't dwell on what others think about you, or even what you think about you, but remind yourself about what God thinks about you. That's the second thing. And finally, the third thing, in 2019, bring all your goals and resolutions and plans to God, before God. If you have come to the end of 2018 feeling exhausted, trying to live up to all your goals and plans, my first question for you is this, Have you brought those plans before God? Have you prayed about them? And have you asked God to give you the strength to achieve those goals and plans? Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do and He will establish your plans. You can't achieve anything without God's help, so commit all your plans to God. And part of doing that is asking the question are my goals and plans ultimately to glorify God or just to glorify myself? Am I seeking God's will or am I seeking my own will? In His Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells the crowd, don't worry about the things that everyone else worries about and chases after. Seek first the Kingdom of God and all those other things will be given to you as well. Mary did not plan to give birth to the Son of God, that was not her idea, that was God's plan for her, that was God's will for her and she was obedient to His plan. So when you bring your goals and plans to God, don't just ask Him to make, make them happen, ask Him, ask yourself and ask others if your plans are wise plans and if they are God's will, not just yours. So those are three things, three things that we all ought to do as we head into the new year. So let's commit uh, the year ahead to God now. Let's pray. Our dear, gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the story of Mary. We thank you that you blessed her, that you graced her, that you gifted her with Jesus, not because she deserved it, not because she earned it, but because you are a gracious and merciful God. I pray that you would grant us rest and peace in 2019. I pray that we would ground our assurance, our self-worth, our identity in you and in your Son, Jesus. I pray that you would bless us greatly, that we would cling to you in all things, and that in 2019, you and your name would be glorified in us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.